Hello, welcome to Prince Track by Track presents Midnight Vultures Track by Track. Today we're going to be talking about the opening track, Sex Laws. Also, the first single released from this album by Beck. Uh, released on the 25th of October 1999, roughly one month before the, uh, the album came out. Um, it was written by Beck, uh, and on the track we have Beck, we've got Arnold McCullough and, and Valerie Pinkston, who do backing vocals on pretty much all of this album, uh, Justin Middle Johnson on bass, who of course is the bassist for Beck most of the time, uh, we've also got uh, John Birdsong on trumpet, uh, David Relic, I'm going to say, on trombone, uh, Roger Joseph Manning Jr. on synthesizer, again, a regular collaborator with Beck, uh, Smokey Hornwell on guitar, um, Herb Pedersen on banjo, and that I feel is like the big feature of this song is the uh, the banjo, uh, and J.D. Mendes on pedal steel, which I guess forms the majority of kind of like the uh, the backbone of the song as well. Um, it's kind of an interesting production sound they've gone for. Uh, Beck and producer Mickey Petrelia are also doing the programming, which I guess is what is supplying the drum beat because it doesn't feel like there's natural drums on this particular track. Um, uh, the track is 3 minutes 38 and joining me to talk about today is Elliot Wallace. Hello, Elliot. Hello. Now, obviously, this is the first track of um, this side project, I'm going to call it, uh, for Prince Track by Track. Um, you know, Beck, I think, is an interesting artist because he kind of came up around the time of, um, you know, Nirvana and, um, you know, REM, um, you know, kind of that, that kind of college radio um, blurring into... Uh, mainstream the, the kind of, well kind of becoming and also grunge both of those kind of entering into the mainstream you know REM have been you know fairly big for a number of years and then Losing My Religion came out and you know everyone lost their mind for REM suddenly they were gigantic they were playing stadiums they looked very uncomfortable <laughs> um, <laughs> you know uh, you had you know Nirvana and you know the rest of the Seattle scene all of a sudden going mainstream um, you know obviously and then pretty much all of those lead singers are dead now um, and you know Beck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Apart from uh, apart from the lead singer of Pearl Jam, whose name escapes me at this very moment, Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder's still alive. So you know we still yes, got one of them. Um, but yeah, and that, and then within that you had someone like Beck, who was you know he's not grunge, um, but you know something like Loser kind of I don't know it fits with for me it fits within that kind of grunge era. Um, you know it's mm. very much even though he has a song called MTV makes me want to smoke crack. It's very much part of that kind of MTV era, you know, something that I think people don't really discuss very much about that kind of like college radio grunge era is yeah. a lot of the videos were the things that propelled people. I mean, people are probably tired of seeing uh, the Smells Like Teen Spirit video, like at the time you probably saw that a thousand times, um, you know, when it yeah. was a huge hit. And the same with, you know, Loser, gigantic video, you know, all over the place. So um, I'll say this, that in the... Um Late '90s, like as the new millennium, or yeah, new millennium, I guess uh, it was coming along. MTV did this like document, like this. They used to have these like kind of rock documentaries, um, and one was, and I'm, I've struggled to like find a link for this. If there's anyone who does, hit me on Twitter. One was called Nine Days That Rock the '90s," which I think is like based off Twelve Days That uh, Changed the World, um, but. The number one was uh, when Beck released Loser, and uh, like the key card of it was uh, uh, Beck ushered in the Age of Irony. So if you kind of, you know, when you're talking about the some of the zeitgeist of like pop, uh, pop and rock music in particular, the age, I guess a little bit of like hip hop too, but especially in that pop and rock world. Um, it was kind of like a more ironic and, and definitely detached sense of uh, 
of where you were with um with, uh, with certain aspects of the culture yeah um you can seriously like the weird things that you do like but the mainstream things about like mtv um other and like coming out of reaganism and you know the bush years and kind of going into what clanism would look like uh you want to detach yourself from those things but you want to be connected to the things that are important to you yeah and it i mean it's worth saying obviously you know this is kind of like i mean i guess if you were to kind of think about uh you know the bands of the time you know you had Lollapalooza and you had little fair those were like the big things that kind of promoted these bands and took them into the mainstream um you also yeah. had the <laughs> the episode of the simpsons called homopalooza uh, where you yeah. have the the kind of the kids in the audience watching Homer getting hit with a cannonball, and one of them being like, "Oh, it's it's that cannonball guy again. He's really great." And the other person says, "Like, do you like do you really mean that or not?" And he's like, "I don't even know anymore." And I think <sighs> yeah. that kind of level of I mean, obviously, Loser came out in like you know 1993, so it's not quite that far into you know the the kind of the detachment. Um, but still, I mean, you know, Beck went to the trouble of making a really memorable video for that. You know, there's a whole point where like a coffin is, you know, moving around in stop motion or up a hill. So like it was a it was a weird college movie. Yeah, like there was there was effort put into it. It wasn't like he didn't care about being on MTV, despite his previous single literally being MTV makes me want to smoke crack. Um, you know, so that was kind of that was. I mean, it's it's funny because there's a chance that you know in a different universe, Beck is a one hit wonder and Loser was that hit. And, yeah. you know, after that, there's a possibility that any follow up he did, you know, would have been a huge failure. But then Odele came along and that was even bigger, I would say, than than Loser. You know, like you have the, the songs that are that are off that, um, you know, that were released off there, you know, where it's at, you know, a huge song, Devil's Haircut, New Pollution, you know, Sissy Neck. Those are all really big songs. Um, you know, to the point where, you know, Beck was, um, you know, he was <laughs> he was asked to do a song for the soundtrack that was the follow-up to um, Train Spotting, uh, which of course is the very terrible film A Life Less Ordinary, and you know he, he yeah I remember that song yeah very well uh, Don't Let the Sun I think that's the chorus Don't Let the Sun Catch You Rising yes Deadweight uh, you know, was the name I, of the song Deadweight right yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah but I guess that's something that the chorus is that uh, memorable yeah um. I was gonna, yeah, and that that was that was released in 1997. So that was kind of, you know, just before Beck then released um, Mutations, um, you know, which was co-produced by uh, Nigel Godrick, who the previous year had done OK Computer with Radiohead. Of course, you know, when you look at Radiohead in like 95, around the same time that Beck was getting big, you know, they were just kind of this small kind of rock band. And then by the time you get to 97, you know, Radiohead were gigantic, and you know, obviously yeah. they've only gotten bigger since. You know, everything Radiohead does is is kind of you know they they kind of ended up being becoming something completely opposite to what they started out doing. Um, but again, I feel yeah. like Radiohead were a band that had a huge hit song with Creep, and they could have been a one hit wonder with that. But it, you know, they ended up broadening what they, you know, what they considered themselves to be out. And I think that's the same with Beck, you know, um, as an artist, you know, I don't I, I'm not going to say I love everything that he did. You know, I enjoyed pretty much all those singles that came off of Odelay. And, you know, uh, I think I actually purchased Tropicalia, which was the opening single from um, from Mutations, um, you know. And so I was a fan of Beck before Midnight Vultures came out. 
Um, you know, and at the time, Prince, his output, let's say, was a little bit less than, you know, interesting. Like, you know, in 1999, he released, um, you know, Raven to the Joy Fantastic and re-released the song 1999. So he was really kind of stuck, you know, releasing old material. And, you know, it would take him a few years before he kind of got yeah. back on track. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he was someone, I mean, you know... Mutations won the Grammy for Best Alternative Music yeah. Album, and I think that title kind of really describes it. I mean, alternative to what is always the question, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, um, and I, I, I think, I think, you know, now they say Best Alternative Music Album rather than just Music Performance. But you know, like obviously REM had won it, uh, U two had won it with Zuropa, you know, Green Day won it, um, you know, Nirvana had won it with um, MTV, you know, Unplugged. Um, and then Radiohead would win with OK Computer after Beck had won with Odalace. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because then, you know, Beck won with Mutations, Radiohead won with Kid A. So, again, there's this thing of Radiohead and Beck somehow kind of being this kind of, uh, you know, getting a lot of Grammy love um, for being alternative acts. And it's funny because I think Radiohead, basically every time they release an album, they get nominated yeah. for this Grammy, um, you know, and... and I mean, I guess these days it's it's kind of, you know, this this particular genre has kind of, you know, you, you can see like, I mean, if you just look at who was nominated, you see like Wilco, White Stripes, you know, uh, Black Keys, Bon Iver, St. Vincent. Like you could, that's that's kind of more where the genre is now in terms of like alternative, um, you know, something like, you know, Vampire Weekend, you know, Nico Case, like the, all the all these artists. I mean, obviously, Arcade Fire, you know, all 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 those kind of, you know, artists who wouldn't have sounded out of place on college radio in 1999. I've got to be honest with you, you know, like you, could, you can kind of go back in time and imagine, um, you know, some of those bands being played in the 90s and they, they wouldn't sound completely yeah. out of place. Um but, you know, like, I don't know, if you take a look at who was nominated from 91 through to today, there's a lot of really good albums on there. And, of course, um, you know, Midnight Vultures was also nominated in yeah. this category. Um, you know, so I was essentially, you know, ha ha having bought one of Beck's least successful singles <laughs> with Tropicalia, um, I was kind of primed um, to, you know, uh, kind of, ex you know, kind of look into what Beck was doing next. Um, and then when, you know, Sex Laws was released as a single, and you know, Midnight Vultures came out. You know, I think this is probably one of the one of the few times where I've bought an album like mm. day of release. You know, because I'd heard Sex Laws all over the radio. You know, before the album was released, and you know, my first thought was, this sounds a lot like someone doing a Prince song. <laughs> like, um, I don't think that I don't think a lot of the tracks are purely kind of Prince-ish. I think really Deborah is the only one that kind of, and I think that's mostly because of the, yeah. the falsetto, but. You know, there is a there is a certain element of this being Beck's Prince album. Like a lot of the reviews talk about, you know, this is Beck kind of, you know, a lot of people saw this as kind of a, you know, a very different direction for him, you know, doing this kind of very kind of rock Prince impression, um, you know, and, and kind of particularly some of the kind of more dancier tracks, you know, the production. Yeah, dance on kind of funk too. Uh, yeah. That's how I always uh, really... Well, been, how I've been processing the record. I would say on this track as well, you have like trombone, you have trumpet, you know, on Deborah, you've got like, you know, a full kind of brass section. Um, you know, if you watch any live performances of Deborah, you can you can see, you know, Beck doing the Prince stuff, you know, like he, even the way he kind of moves on stage. It's almost like he's doing an impression of Prince. Um, but, you know, I think this this album is broader than that. and It's more interesting than that. It's not just, you know, Beck kind of. 
um, you know, taking a direction and kind of doing, um, you know, like imitations. Um, you know, th this is something obviously I'll discuss on a lot of the other tracks as well. But it's this weird thing where this feels like Beck um, almost doing Weird Al doing, you know, these different genres. Like there's a certain level of kind of like parody, um, something which I think is very, very easy to see in the video for this. Um, mm. where you have, well, it opens, I mean, the original video was apparently 18 minutes long, but there's Jack Black in the video and a couple of the guys yeah. who are in the band, and they're kind of in this meeting and they're talking about, you know, um, you know, it's meant to be like some kind of men's group, and then it gets interrupted by Beck, um, you know, kind of talking about sex laws. And then the end of the video has Jack Black talking about how, you know, he's there with a bunch of people dressed up in various outfits and he's saying how, he, you know, he wants to kind of, break sex laws and stuff like that so it's like yeah it's 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 kind of like uh magnolia if, if i'm thinking of the right movie or just like some yes. any kind of yeah random uh like uh you know conference thing like yeah. weirdo kind of conference thing it is yeah it is i would say yeah it is a little i don't know if i don't think magna well i guess yeah magnolia was released earlier in the year but I, you know i don't know if that is an exact influence on this but yeah there is a little tiny bit of kind of frank tj mackie in there um, but yeah, I don't know, like, it's it's such a great kind of, like, opening single, and, you know, the video is quite fun, and it's, you know, it's a really great kind of, like, opening track, um, you know, so obviously, you know, when this album came out, I was, like, immediately, you know, uh, particularly once I got to Deborah, I was like, this album is, you know, you know, one of my favorite albums of 1999, I would say. Certainly more enjoyable than Rave to the Joy Fantastic, mm. um, you know, so it's, it's kind of one of those rare years where someone else released an album that I you know, liked more than the Prince album that came out that year. So, um, but it also, you know, the way that kind of Beck, the way that he sings on these songs, um, you know, he, like his voice has always kind of been a little, I mean, in, in terms of production, like very, like when you listen to Loser, very few people can tell you what most of the words <laughs> in that song are about. Um, but I think that's part of the way that Beck delivers it. Like it's almost, yeah. in fact, it's almost a little bit of like a parody of itself because it's like, it's, that's what college radio was, was unintelligible lyrics. Um, yeah. You know, the same thing was kind of cast in Nirvana's direction and a lot of kind of grunge artists where it's like you, they're mumbling and you can't hear what they're singing, um, you know, which is not completely true. Uh, you know, I, no. I think there's a lot of grunge where you can kind of clearly hear what they're saying. Um, you know, when, when Chris Cornell is singing the words Black Hole Sun, Won't You Come? I feel like that's fairly obvious what he's saying there. Um, yeah. But in on this album, I feel like, you know, it doesn't really matter what Beck is singing because there's so much nonsense lyrics on this album. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he delivers them in a way where he's he's not kind of, um, he's not as detached as you would expect. He's really selling these these lines, you know, particularly when you get to something like Deborah, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, reveal my hand. It's probably my favourite track of this album. Mm. Possibly my favourite track of, I mean... I would say I would put it easily in one of my top five or six, you know, favorite songs of all time, um, mm. you know, but on this album, there's still a lot of really great songs. And I think this is you know, such a strong opener, you know, like and also it, it kind of sets out the store for what the rest of the album is going to be like. There's no way you can hear Sex Laws and then be surprised by any of the tracks that follow, <laughs> because, you know, if you're expecting Beck, who was on, you know, Odelay or Mutations, um, you know, you're not getting that Beck. You know, even if you look at the cover of Mutations, it's a very kind of like forlorn picture of Beck wearing a T-shirt yeah. covered in cellophane, I think. And, you know, he looks kind of innocent and very kind of like waifish and very kind of like early 90s. 
you know the cover the cover for midnight vultures is like a very particular shade of green and it's, yeah you know and it's it's a weird cover to say the uh, very uh, least it, well it did end up there was a there's a magazine over here called q uh, which you know is a music magazine and there was a poll yeah. of like the 50 worst album covers and it ended up on that list um I, not that, that's not a judgment on albums i think that's just a judgment on album covers um, I think the top one was that uh, uh, is it Millie Jackson where she's sitting on the toilet. Um, people will have oh, to. Oh, uh, Millie Dave. Uh, it's Davis. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, people will have to Google that and find. You know, just just Google. You know, worst album covers. And you, I'm sure you'll find it somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, so you know, the, I guess the album artwork puts some people off. Even the kind of album artwork for you know Sex Laws is kind of a very weird. It's it's done in the same style as the kind of main album. Uh, cover anyway um but yeah i don't know I, I this is just one of those songs where i love the kind of production on it um you know the bass if you if like if you ever want to listen to the bass um you know google google on youtube like uh you know sex laws bass and you'll find a lot of people playing this bass line and it is it is ne- it never stops it never rests if you just mm-hmm. listen to what the you know the bass guitar is doing um, it is it is like constant um you know justin metal johnson is you know a very talented bassist um, you know, he's worked with a number of artists, you know, you know, including, you know, Garbage, Mars Volta, uh, you know, Dixie Chicks, Tori Amos, you know, um, like, I mean, he's even kind of as a producer produced stuff by, you know, like Paramore, Metric, Tegan and Sarah, like he, he's huge. Um, and, you know, the bass stuff that he does on here, you know, he's obviously a frequent collaborator with Beck as well. And the stuff that he does on here is, you know, it's kind of it's really kind of, you know, energetic. Um, and it's yeah. one of the things that kind of you, d- you don't realize it, but if you listen out for it, you'll realize that's one of the things that is kind of moving this track along, along with, of course, yeah. the banjo and <laughs> pedal guitar, which. Yeah, it's it's weird because to kind of give a sense of my history with Beck, I was very familiar with uh, when he like when I started watching MTV by myself in the mid 90s, I, w- I remember um it was it wasn't loser but like uh, odelay and the videos from that i remember very well so i knew of beck as much as someone or as much as some of my age and just where i was living you know who i was could have known beck so when this song came out i was just kind of familiar with this semi-weird dude who made semi-weird music um, but I was also kind of enthralled with it. But I also, until like recently, never really noticed the banjo. And that <laughs> always was just so, it was kind of a, a bit of a, a, a tiny revelation hearing it in the, in more more recently hearing that banjo and how prominent it is. And trying to kind of figure out if it's played live or if it's a sample. That was oh no, it's, there's was, definitely a banjo player playing it. Um, okay. You know, but I, and it's funny because towards the end of the track, most of the instruments drop out, and you just get that banjo line. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. weird that you hadn't noticed the banjo before, <laughs> because it's like one well, of the really. Prom- but then there's a lot of production on here, so I, I can understand yeah, why during the, the actual song, there's you know there's a lot going on. There's you know you've got the brass, you've got the the kind of the bass, you've got the kind of different. There's a you know there's a number of different keyboards being used here. Um, yeah. You know, there's and, a, and a lot, lot of it, of I, I think it's because I knew it through the video. Yeah. And the video ends with Jack Black talking, and I the music kind of fades off, so I didn't really notice it <laughs> yeah it's worth saying as well as you know the co-producer on this song and a couple of songs from this album you know the production is split between Mickey Petralia and the Dust Brothers um, he also produced um, stuff by Eels and Luscious Jackson 
mm. both of which I'm a huge fan of. I'm such a, I mean, I'm a massive, massive fan of Eels. Like the first few albums, you know, for me, life changing. You know, the stuff that's on there. But also, you know, after this, um, you know, he he kind of he mostly worked as kind of an engineer, but um, he he produced all of the music that was done for the TV series Flight of the Concords. Um, mm, you know, cool. and also he produced the two soundtracks for the most recent two Muppets films as well. Um, you know, which makes sense because uh, one half of the Flight of the Concords, of course, wrote some of the songs on the first right. Muppets movie, so that makes sense. But yeah, so you know, it, it, he's got an interesting career. You know, I, you know, but uh, I mean, the weird thing is, after Midnight Vultures, he produced Testify by Rage Against the Machine, which mm. just feels like such a weird kind of thing for him to do. Um, but you know, that's a great song as well by Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine, also, yeah. you know, a band that I love as well. But I mean, it's worth saying as well that you know, uh, me personally, I saw Beck live. Uh, on the 27th of June 2001 he was still touring this album mostly uh, the set list was really 50-50 between you know other stuff and you know stuff from this album um, you know and Sex Laws was the penultimate song he played that night um, so I can't say I remember that performance in particular um, but there is a performance that he did on Jules Holland from around the same time from towards the end of 1999 which is worth finding um, you know if you can uh, because yeah. it is just literally like you know, a ve- like the, the performance is even quicker than it is on the album. <laughs> like they're they're are a few they're they're about like twenty seconds quicker than they are on the album. So like the energy on the stage between like the different members of the band is really worth seeing. And Beck, you know, he's a he's a like, you know, I'm not going to say he's like you know an electric performer or anything. Like he's not like you know top twenty, but when he's performing his own material and you know when he's really into it, he's you know he's he's he performs it really well. Um, you know, and the performance uh, on Jules Holland is very kind of energetic, and you know this is like a really upbeat song as well, so it kind of works. Um, but yeah, so me seeing Beck live, you know, in June two thousand one, um, kind of cemented me as a fan of this album because you know yeah. he performed you know more than half the, the tracks off this album, so um, you know mixed him with a lot of other kind of tracks from around that time. Um, you know, I think the one thing he didn't actually do in our performance that he'd been doing regularly on that tour was doing like an acoustic version of MTV makes me want to smoke crack. So, mm. you know, I didn't get to see that performance, but I got, I got to see a lot of other performances that, that night. Cool. But yeah, it's also the weirdest thing is uh, the, the support artist for that for that tour, um, certainly while Beck was in the UK uh, and I think part of Europe as well, was Nick Acosta, who, uh, you know, later performed with Prince on Rave to the Year 2000 and was also, you know, a regular on his tour for the next, I think, mm. two years after this. Um, and then also, you know, her second album, I think, had some tracks that were rumored to have been produced by Prince, but weren't officially right. credited. Um, so but also I love Nick. Acosta. I mean, I, when I saw Nick Acosta that night, I'm not kidding you. Literally the next day I went into HMV. I, in fact, I, I, I had like um, uh, I had a mobile phone at that particular time in 2001. And I'm almost certain like the first thing after she finished her first song, which I think was Push and Pull. I immediately on my phone wrote down Nick Acosta and then the next day I went and bought her debut album and the single that was out at the time and you know I you know listened to those over and over again yeah probably one of my favorite albums from that year you know I just love her voice Um, and seeing her live you know it's kind of amazing Um, but here's the weirdest thing about this track Um, one of the backing vocals I'm a backing vocalist I mentioned was Arnold McCullough Um, now just one weird thing about this track well yeah also. i mean it's, well this is the weirdest thing because recently i saw okay. paul simon's final performance um in europe uh there was it was at a gig in london uh, he had support from um both uh bonnie Raitt 
and uh, James Taylor. They were like, James Taylor was the last support act to open. I think Bonnie Raitt was on. Uh, I can't remember who the other one was. I think there was someone before Bonnie Raitt, but we didn't get there for that. We only got there for Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor, and then, um, you know, of course, Paul Simon, who was, uh, you know, magical. Um, you know, he finished mm. he finished the night just singing The Boxer by himself. Um, and, you know, it was a moving experience. Uh, but Arnold McCullough was a backing vocalist on stage with Paul Simon, but he was also on stage with James Taylor, and he started with Bonnie Raitt that day. So he did three different performances. So I've seen Arnold McCullough perform with three different artists on one day, like, you know, 19 years after he was singing backup vocals for Beck. Uh, now, I don't know if he was on the tour in 2001. There's a possibility he might have been, but I wouldn't have remembered because Beck didn't introduce him. But Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor and Paul Simon made a point of introducing him when he came out to do backing vocals for them. And it was kind of insane when I was like researching the stuff to do for this album that his name came up and I was like, where do I recognize that name from? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I've just seen him. I just seen him perform live a couple of months ago with three different artists. It was kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, but he, no, he, like, there were a couple of times, particularly with Bonnie Raitt and James Taylor, where they had him kind of do, like, the co lead vocal, and he's got a great mm-hmm. voice. Um, I can't say that I can really hear him on this song, um, but you know, there he is. Uh, he was also, uh, interestingly, on the uh, soundtrack to Duets, the film that Gwyneth Paltrow released, where she, you know, did a bunch of duets. He did some of the voices for some of the people who I'm guessing couldn't sing as well as they should um, for a song for a film that is meant to be about people who do karaoke professionally. Um, and he was also doing he also did backing vocals on the Hairspray soundtrack, which again film that oh. I, I love. So um, you know, a, a kind of a really talented guy who's just kind of in the background on this album, which is kind of amazing. Um, you know, that shows kind of like the depth of talent that, that's on this particular album. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know. Since since this album, I haven't really paid that a huge amount of attention to Beck. Like, there's been songs that he's released that I've kind of heard, um, but you know, I I don't think anything has kind of captured my attention as much as this album did, um, which is why obviously I'm not doing Beck track by track and going through his entire career. Just this one album. Someone else can do that. Yeah, someone else can do that, and they just skip over this album if they don't like it. Um, you know, which uh, uh, the, you know, there's not actually most of the contemporary reviews were really positive, and I think it has something like 85 on Metacritic. So you know, mm. it, it it did it did really well, um, but there were one or two kind of reviews, and like I said, there's been a few there's been a few kind of reviews since where people have kind of you know they feel like this was a bit of a weird kind of detour for Beck. It wasn't as successful either as the previous couple of albums that he'd had, um, and it wouldn't be as successful as the next few albums he released. It's kind of it's really weird because this is like a dud for Beck, but. You know, still fairly successful, I would say. Um, but you know, yeah. let's talk about some sex laws. Um, you know, let's. <laughs> you know, I, I would ask you the question, which is, can't you hear those cavalry drums? Uh, which, you know, is such. Now, they're, I believe they're hijacking my equilibrium. Yeah, they might be. There's a very realistic chance yeah, of them. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 lo- I love kind of the, the kind of nonsense opening to these lyrics, but it's just so kind of perfect. You know, the delivery that Beck does of "Can't you hear those cavalry drums?" Like you have to ask yourself, "Can I?" And then, of course, you know, like this this whole kind of midnight snacks at the mausoleum. Again, the way he sings mausoleum, it's just such a. You know, it's a nice kind of contrast. Like, who would ever... I mean, nobody would have, like, midnight snacks in a mausoleum. Like, you wouldn't want to do that. But it's just... it. Like, Beck, throughout this whole album, something, obviously, I'll discuss as we get through every track, is, you know, he's, he's got a... He's got, you know, obviously, you know, people can write nonsense lyrics, but Beck has a wonderful way of kind of writing these different lyrics and kind of delivering them. 
Um, you know, and I think his like the way he sings this track is it's probably you know one of the good the better vocal performances on here. Um, yeah, and of course where he says where the pixelated doctors moan again, complete nonsense. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, but kind of so well delivered that for a moment you have to kind of think what is going on in this album. You know, what are we what are we starting with here? You know, like I'm sure people hearing this this single. What's weird is this single wouldn't have been out of place on college radio and mainstream radio in 1999. Like it wouldn't have seemed that weird. No. You know, it would have been completely. You know, it you know would have fitted perfectly with what was being played at the time. So it's kind of interesting here that you, we kind of we get these. If you kind of really look into these lyrics, you're like, I don't know what Beck is actually singing about here. Um, you know, telling us about carnivores in a Kowloon night, breathing free on by the candlelight, coquettes bitch slap you so polite. Till you thank them for the tea and sympathy. And I just love, you know, as a British person, of course, I am someone who, even before this recording, drank a cup of tea. So I'm, uh, you know, yeah. anyone who sings about tea and sympathy, um, you know, then <laughs> obviously I am going to, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be, that's, that's immediately a plus for me. You know, he's talking about tea and yeah. sympathy, which again is something I generally, tea and sympathy over here is used as a phrase for something that you would, you would give to someone after the death of a relative. Like when we talk about tea and sympathy, you're like, you know, that's that's generally something that's reserved for, um, you know, kind of tragedies. Uh, it's not just something that you kind right. of do on a regular basis. It's not like every time I have a yeah. cup of tea, I'm giving people sympathy. But, uh, you know, it's, again, I, I just like I do love the kind of coquettes bitch slap you so polite. Like the kind of the yeah. contrast between a bitch. Slap... And, and that's kind of a tragic moment, though. Let's let's not deny being. Yeah, bitch being bitch slapped by, by a coquette. Yeah, I mean. it is very tragic. But I, again, I like this kind of contrast of polite against bitch slap. Like you know, breathing yeah. freon by the candlelight. You know, obviously freon is the uh, is the gas um, that is uh, you know that's kind of emitted from you know most things that you burn. But like this kind of breathing freon by candlelight, it's like you know the idea of candlelight is something generally seen as romantic. But breathing freon is not a yeah. good thing. You don't want to be doing that. So I I just kind of I love these these kind of contrasts that he's kind of putting in there. And also I don't know why Kowloon, but again you know it's a word that really works. Um, you know, and then we get the chorus, which, <laughs> you know, is about as straightforward as any kind of chorus is in this on this album where he's like, I want to defy the logic of all the sex laws. Let the handcuffs slip off your wrist. I'll let you be my chaperone at the halfway home. And then I'm a full grown man, <laughs> but I'm not afraid, not afraid to, cry. to cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such. I just needed to sing, but I do love that part. <laughs> yeah, of the chorus that just—I mean, yeah. I, I what I think I saw a pitchfork. Um, they did like a, a retrospective on this album, and I think that chorus really just came out of when he was touring for Odelay, and he would just start singing that at the end of some song. Yeah, and that just kind of caught on. It's also, it's also worth saying as well that uh, you know when you get to the the end of Deborah. You have him singing just as the fade out comes in. He says, I'm not afraid to. I'm not afraid to. And he almost says cry, but he doesn't. So the, like in Deborah, he actually calls back to this this kind of this line in the chorus. And that's that's like a nice touch that, you know, by the time you get to the end of the album, it kind of, uh, you know, it kind of gets to it gets to that kind of point. And also, you know, he's talking about gender roles, you know, 1999. Um, this is Beck, you know, very woke, um, you know. He's also, you know, he wants to defy the logic of the sex laws. You know, I mean, one of the famous things that people do over here is um, wacky American state sex laws. 
uh, is like a thing that is is quite big over here where, you know, or even just wacky American laws where in certain states, you know, on a Sunday, you're not allowed to ride a horse and stuff like that. You know, kind of really weird things that I don't know how they've ended up on the statute book. But so I like the idea that Beck is like, well, it doesn't matter what what they put on the statute, what law you make. He's going to defy whatever you put on there. And, uh, yeah. you know, again, like this kind of let the handcuffs slip off your wrists. Um, you know, which I guess these days doesn't seem particularly kind of like adventurous, you know, like um, particularly with something like, you know, the rise of Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, handcuffing someone is not really that much of a, you know, if you're going to experiment, that's really the very first step. So, um, but I, I again, like this kind of the rhyme of chaperone at the halfway home, like it's not a full rhyme. It's it's a bit of a half rhyme. But I, I, I like the idea that like there's a story there. You're like, well, what's what's he doing at a halfway home? Like what's going on? What's going on in this person's life? What laws has he defied up to this point that has led to him being you know released from prison and into a halfway home? Like, you know, and, uh, you know, this admission, I'm a full grown man, but I'm not afraid to cry. I think something that, you know, any full grown men can relate to. Um, you know, and I, 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 I think you know. I think Beck obviously was the first person to allow men to cry in the nineties. Um, oh, absolutely! You know. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I feel like regarding yeah. Henry was when people learned how to cry in the nineties um, in terms of men. Thank you, J.J. Abrams, for that. Yeah, and then of course we go back to the verse, which um, you know the production changes a little bit for this second verse, and I kind of I think my favorite production on this track is the is the production that comes in the second verse because it's a bit more. Um, kind of like synthesizers there's a bit less drums um, it's a bit kind of more the, the, the bass is a little bit more prominent actually um, you know where he says let's <laughs> this again this is a bit of a tongue twister um, Neptune's list tape taste like fermented wine perfume blokes on the geezer line running book wild like a concubine whose mother never handled her hand and then at that point um not in the lyrics, but on the track there is a little bit where someone almost does like an al Pacino impression and there's a little bit of a hoo-ha just before he goes into the brief encounters in Mercedes-Benz. Um, and then, of course, a warning to anybody who wears contact lenses, wearing hepatitis contact lens. Obviously, you should always make sure that you, uh, you know, take out your contact lenses each night. And uh, I'm glad put... someone finally mentioned yeah. this. That I think this is something that we uh, in America, we don't talk about no. and we don't we, we, we don't pay attention to <laughs> hepatitis. Yeah. Contact. Lens. <laughs> I feel like actually this may be a different illusion. Um, because obviously with Beck talking about sex laws, I, the, the kind of hepatitis contact lens maybe might be a reference to condoms rather than, uh, you know, uh, actually yeah. contact lenses. Um, but he says, bed and breakfast, getaway weekends. Again, this is something that will come up a lot in this album. Um, Beck has a habit of mixing kind of high goals, like brief encounters in Mercedes-Benz. You know, obviously, you know, Lord, won't you buy me Mercedes-Benz? Um they're very expensive. You know, there's an element of luxury there. But then he says, yeah. bed and breakfast, getaway weekends with Sports Illustrated moms. So immediately it's like, but the most he's going to promise you is just a bed and breakfast getaway. It's like, okay, like you've got the Mercedes Benz, but he's, you know, that's where he's clearly spent the money. And this is something that, you know, even with Deborah, you know, he meets her at a JC Penny. Like there's a, there's a certain air of Beck attempting to be kind of, you know, very um, wealthy or project wealth but he always ends up kind of bringing it down just a little bit and uh, undercutting it, which again, probably something, you know, that comes from that, the kind of the, the era of irony a little bit, um, you know, and also yeah. this is a time where obviously, you know, rap is gigantic at this point. Um, you know, I think we were all, you know, getting wiki wiki wawa during the summer of 1999. Um, so, you know, again, that kind of boasting that takes place in rap of, um, you know, 
kind of i mean particularly if you look at any of the rap videos from the time they are ridiculously huge productions and so yeah. this kind of wealth in rap was something that was very prominent at the time still is even today um but yeah. but at the time you know that was something and so beck you know here he's kind of almost making fun of it a little bit something that he'll do for the rest of the album as well he's like these boasts of you know he owns a mercedes-benz but he's just you know, he's just going on B&B getaways, which is just these, these kind of contrasts. And then, you know, one final time we get the uh, we get the chorus, um, you know, let the handcuffs slip off your wrists. I'll let you be my chaperone. Um, and of course, he's a full grown man. And he's not afraid to cry. Um, and when yeah. he sings that final cry, he just I mean, it really extends it. He just keeps saying cry. I, 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 I. Like he keeps getting higher. He like, you know, if it's on this particular, you know, um, you know on this particular um song it feels like that's the kind of most prince like moment where he's singing that kind of cry and really extending it and holding it um you yeah know. but yeah 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 get that sense yeah and i mean you know like i said most of the verses are kind of nonsense but the chorus kind of you know it has a point you know um beck mm. wants to defy sex laws uh he wants handcuffs off people's wrists he needs a chaperone he's at a halfway home for some reason uh, there's a story behind that i'm sure and obviously he's a full-grown man who's not afraid to cry. I mean, it's just such great lyrics, you know. In, I mean, the chorus, certainly. The the verses, you know, I'm sure someone can fight me on whether or not talking about running book wild like a concubine is, you know. I mean, concubine, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm, sh- I'm, sure, I'm sure there's kind of things that people can kind of debate about that, but I think that this is a really catchy chorus, and that's what really sells a song. Uh, so I was thinking there's this kind of genre of music, I think it's... It was called No Wave uh, in the uh, early 80s, and it kind of really just came out of New York. It was like post and experimental punk music. Uh, and the, But there was also kind of a big influence by, by funk artists on that, too. That was kind of like, a, a, I hate using the word miscegenation, but kind of like the mixing of different genres of music. And one person that sticks out is a, an artist named jo- uh, James Chance who did a song called Contort Yourself. And I think this is kind of where some of the roots uh, of this album, along with Prince, because I think that's kind of like the biggest name, but also some of the roots also lay in for Beck, too, to kind of mix things up. And I think just nonsense lyrics, what seems like nonsense lyrics, and they might not have anything to really do, and they they just want to get to the chorus, so they need a road to get there. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to kind of you know put that out there too and what i think also influences song yeah i mean i would say i would say as yeah. well like you know if you you know if you think about the music of the time you know you think about something like um you know in particular like green day who were like a punk band but they're you know they're post-punk but they're kind of grungy but you know like there's a, yeah. a kind of mixing of genres and i think that's something that was kind of common um so if you know i guess you could also say that beck you know particularly with loser if you did want to kind of pick a genre you maybe might you know i couldn't call it grunge because i don't think it has the same kind of you know trademarks of that particular thing but i guess you could call it post-punk it is a very kind of you know it feels like a very kind of punk type song um you know and i guess some of that is kind of you know taken up here as well you know this this album is kind of is attempting to do you know particularly with the, some of the brass stuff you know there is kind of like a funk element that's in there maybe but at the same yeah. time it's not it's not completely like you know there's so much kind of synthesizer and programming and production and stuff like that is kind of antithetical to funk like you know there's 
you know, there's not really, I wouldn't, I mean, obviously there's a, a very kind of, you know, specific beat to this and you have kind of, the, the, you know, the banjo is kind of non-stop and you've got the bass, which is kind of non-stop, but there's no real groove yeah. in this song like you would say with funk, um, you know. So it kind of, it kind of, it sort of has maybe funk elements, but it doesn't really feel like a funk song. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of this album, uh, no, well, you, you can disagree with me if you wish. I, I don't know. You know. I definitely think it's just kind of like a weird post-punk funk. Yeah. That, that sounds like the most pretentious, <laughs> uh, genre yeah. that I'm writing for. I don't know. NME, Q, <laughs> what American music magazine spin pitchfork pitchfork yeah pitchfork, that I wrote for pitchfork. pitchfork yeah that's where you i definitely i feel like the groove is driven mostly by the horns at the beginning yeah and i think that kind of keeps a, the, that energy going throughout the the entirety of the uh the song yeah i mean i guess when i think about a groove i think about like a live band and them kind of getting yeah. stuck in a groove and i don't i don't feel like this this song is too energetic to be kind of stuck in a groove it's constantly moving right. like it you know if if ever we were to embody a shark in a song, I would say you'd have to pick this because it just is never it's nonstop. The you know the production is so kind of busy, you know it just does like the whole song just does not stop until you get to the end when you just have kind of like the banjo and the fade out. Like it's it's right. so kind of busy, um, you know. And, and between also you know it's worth saying as well you know in terms of the album between certain songs there are the sounds of robots having sex, um, you know which. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which kind of which is just such a weird kind of touch and for some songs like that goes on for about 20 30 seconds before the song actually starts there's there's none of that in this like you know it kind of goes straight from this song into um you know the next song uh you know which is nicotine and yeah. gravy like the kind of it, it slows down and it kind of turns into that um but yeah like I, I don't know i just i love it as an opening track and i think it's great as like an opening single i mean I feel like I'm going to say this a lot for this, but, you know, five out of five, you know, there's a lot of tracks on here that are clear five out of five for me, but this is like a really great start to this album, um, you know, and also it kind of lets you know what the rest of the album is going to be like. I can't, like I said, I you can't listen to Sex Laws and then be surprised by the rest of this album, <laughs> you know, right. it clearly sets out the stall and is like, this is what the album is going to be about. Like, there's going to be a lot of production, there's going to be a lot of different synthesizers, there's going to be a lot of programming going on, you know, the whole album is going to really have this kind of frenetic feel. Um, you know, it's going to slow yeah. down for a couple of songs, but basically you're just going to be getting this, you know, for another 11 songs or maybe another 10. Yeah. And then, you know, we're going to get a Prince impression for five minutes at the end. You yeah. know, but, I, you know, I don't know. For me, it's like such a such a great opening track. And in terms of like the singles off this album, there's only like, you know, three singles that were released. Deborah was never released a single, which, you know, I'm sure would surprise some people. And I think this is a really good opening, you know, single. And the video is really fun as well. You know, like this is this is an era when people put a lot of effort into videos. Um, you know, it wasn't a lot of strange effort into videos. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. just a bunch of words on a screen. That wasn't a video back then. Uh, <laughs> Chain smokers. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'll give this a five out of uh, five, two. It's just a great way to start the record. Um, I don't. I, this isn't exactly my favorite on the record. It, mixed business. I've been finding I love that song as much. I need to kind of sit down and listen to Deborah, too. Um, but yeah, uh, out of uh, you know five out of five for this song, it's just a way to kick things off. And uh, if if we want to talk, I guess quickly about the video. It, oh, I, I we did talk a bit about it where uh, yeah, it starts Jack Black. They're having that men's kind of meeting and then every all hell kind of breaks loose and then later on like football players do a dancing number yeah. outside of their like where they're doing the, the music video <laughs> and i wanted the album 
for Christmas, I guess that year. So I thought it was a good idea to show my parents who the artist was. <laughs> and I thought it was good idea to show them They're like, oh, this is that album I'm talking about. And I guess I didn't really think there's a, a, a scene in the video which kind of parodies, I guess, like uh, like Power Ranger kind of Super Sentai stuff um but it has robots and they start dry humping each other and i think that's when my parents are like yeah you're not getting this yeah <laughs> also it's called sex laws um you know uh, it was the 90s yeah. and you know i mean at least they at least you know it isn't a song about freaking someone every freaking night and every freaking day so i guess you know you know what they were they were okay with jonas oh were they that was weird. oh there you go <laughs> no no they were not <laughs> oh i would have loved that i would have loved that if it turns out your parents were huge jodeci fans and followed them on tour or something no that would be, no they that'd were be a great twist um <laughs> yeah so i yeah no the video is really great i mean you know obviously you just google it and you can find it online you know there's a few live performances of this as well that are really great you know beck you know you know when i saw him live it it was a really good performance you know uh, and you know that in, that entire night it was you know it was one of the things where i'm like you know as crazy as beck's personal life and his religious beliefs possibly are um, you know, I'm not going to hold anything against someone who can kind of, you know, deliver a performance like that. Um, you know, so for me personally, like, you know, I'm sure people get bothered by stuff like that about certain artists, but it doesn't really concern me. I'm like, you know, he's 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 a good enough artist that I can kind of overlook that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm you know, it's like this is a, such a good way to open the album. And I feel like, you know, the rest of the tracks kind of live up to it as well. This, this Like, it's not like, you know, there's a lot of albums in the 90s as well where people would release a great single. And then you get to the album, and you're like, "Oh, so that was the one good track you had," <laughs> like, you know. And this is not that case, you know. The rest of the songs live up to the kind of standard set by this opening track, um, you know. So I'm going to really enjoy kind of talking about these uh, these tracks and, and kind of going through this album because this is one of my favorite albums. Like I said, in 1999, Prince kind of let me down, so so it's nice that somebody kind of stepped up a little bit and delivered an album that you know was at least you know really enjoyable. So I feel like we said about as much as we possibly can about Sex Laws, so let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug? You can follow me at E.H. Wallace on Twitter. And you can find me regularly on Prince Track by Track. Um, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Prince Podcast, or you could email, not quite sure where you would, at PrinceTrackByTrack at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest here, Elliot, on this side project. Yeah, and thank you, Darren, for letting us defy sex laws. <laughs> well, now that we've defied them, we're going to have to say goodbye. Bye. I got a little bit of sympathy for you, girl. Because yeah. I'm a... I'm a full-grown man, and I'm not afraid to tell you.